Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. of Revolution Recap coming to you today on Think Taylor Night after the New England Revolution draw 1-1 versus Columbus Crew SC and a very attack-minded performance that saw the Revs unleash a total of 33 shots but only come away with the one goal. My name's Chris Lucas. Joining me today is a special guest from the Bent Musket and the uncertain New England state of Connecticut. It's Jake Hatnese. Jake, how are you doing this evening? How dare you, sir, insult the state, home of the 13 straight WNBA winning streak, Connecticut Sun. Oh, wait, you know, that's not why we're here. No, no. <laughs> I, I can't help myself, though. You know, I, I lived in Massachusetts. I had to get to Maine just to get farther away from Connecticut. I apologize, but this is No, just no, no. It's, it's completely understandable. I, it's nothing personal, I'm sure. No, no. So you, you're doing good, though. The Revs, the Revs had a 1-1 draw. I don't know what your takeaways necessarily are from the, from the game, what your opinions are, if you think it was a good performance or not, but uh, how are you feeling after that draw? Um, I think this is the first game of the year for the Revolution in 2021 where where the result feels like a loss, even though it wasn't. And I, I think that that's a testament to how well this team has played so far, that there haven't been that many bad performances. And most of the good to even OK performances have been turned into wins. And just this time, it just it didn't work. Yeah, it, it really was a bit frustrating to watch, and especially seeing how much pressure New England applied throughout the entire match. I was looking at the stats. The Revolution ended up with 61% possession, which I think is wildly lower than what the eye test told me. Uh, it just seeing how much possession they had, how they were connecting passes. Everyone was playing so well together and interconnecting inter, inter all these uh, different passes. They were just playing so so well off each other. It was really exciting to watch. But then they just left open the counterattack. Columbus took advantage of it, got the opening goal. Four minutes later, Adam Buxa did uh, make it make it level with a, a giveaway from Columbus. Mm-hmm. But overall, a pretty frustrating result uh, going into the match, seeing that Columbus is missing some key players, a full full strength revolution side uh, coming with a 1-1 draw. Uh, let's jump into the key takeaways. I want to know, what was your your one thing that you really took away from this match? Uh, the one thing that I that I took away is that Eli Room is uh, possibly criminally overrated in Major League Soccer and and maybe even in Concacaf because that overrated. was no under I'm sorry underrated because that's the, okay. the the what he did there late in in that game after he looks like he pulled up right around maybe the 85th 80th minute with uh, maybe a, a hamstring or a calf injury after a goal kick um, you know all, all New England really had to do was just get a shot somewhere not anywhere near him and they couldn't do it. And he made, I want to say, about three or four of his seven saves um, in that stretch. And just unbelievable on one leg, um, you know, keeping it down and, and and holding on to that point, which Columbus desperately needed. Um, and it just, it, 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 from an overall standpoint, not just for tonight, but just in general, I've been harping on for months that the Revolution have been a little bit wasteful in front of net. They are not winning games by the amount of goals that they should. Um, and today's really one of the first times that came back to, to bite them. They really should have scored 
more than one goal. This probably should have been a three, one, maybe even a four, one victory um, dominant in, in corners. You talk about the shooting statistics of uh, the corner statistics um, 14 to two was, I think the last one that I saw just an absolutely ridiculous number of set piece chances for the Rebs and just couldn't get it done. It wasn't for lack of trying. It wasn't for lack of Adam Buxa getting headers off uh, just one of those nights where, you look at the stats, you look at the passing numbers, you look at the expected goals, look at whatever metric you want. Everything points to the Revs should have won this game. They should have won it handily, and they didn't. So it, it feels disappointing in that regard, but it's really the first time we've had that feeling all year. Yeah, I actually applaud the fact that you're bringing up a Columbus player as your key takeaway. Eloy Room had a fantastic night. The, Re- the Revs had a 2.88 expected goals, according to FootMob. And obviously only came away with that one goal mm-hmm. was frustrating. You were correct on the corner number. It was 14 to two. Uh, you look at the the shots, 33 total shots. And then you're talking about yeah. wasted chances of those 33 shots. Seven of them were on target. Tar- yeah, it's it's definitely a, a concern when you look at the numbers uh, at that sort of contrast. But the revolution just were really peppering the goal all night long. Uh, Eloy Room came up fantastic and just his heroics late in the game. Um, you know, I, I, I've been a fan of Euler Rooms for several years now, ever since I first saw mm-hmm. him. I think it was in the 2017, 2018. Uh, I don't even know if the Gold Cup happened the, those years, but it was in a Gold Cup. I think, with, I think there, there was a Gold Cup that Curacao broke through, and he broke through in particular. Mm-hmm. And whatever year Zach Steffen left, he was the immediate replacement. I want to say that that was after the 2017 World Cup, and, and Room came in in 2018, but don't quote me on that. Yep. It was the year that Kevin Rowe was playing for the U.S. in the Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Eloy Rome really uh, caught my attention in that tournament. And subsequently from his performance in that tournament, signed uh, uh, signed a contract with Columbus Crew, which was perfect timing, like you said, because Zach Steffen had left right about the same exact time. Um, Eloy Rome has really continued doing it very quietly overall uh, in MLS. So... I think that it's really good that we're giving him some some discussion here tonight and uh, making sure that his name doesn't go, uh, you know, uh, under uh, un- underappreciated because he really deserves a lot of what he's got. He had, uh, like you said, was it seven saves? Is that the number? I didn't see his stat. Um, it, was oh, I'm six, it was six or seven saves that he had. We, the Revolution had seven shots, so that would make sense. Mm-hmm. But, but one piece of uh, information I want to... St- I want to look at here too is that 27 chances were created by the revolution and uh yeah. eloy rooms play in net and commanding his back line is a lot of why the revolution were not able to to put one into the back of the net yeah and that's and that's something like you know you said like, you know when it comes into the playoff time you know you're the new England revolution are going to have to beat a team that is possibly going to show up at gillette and park the bus just kind of like columbus did i understand the circumstances are different it's not a full-strength columbus team um, but Nashville has done this to us. Philadelphia has done this to us. And for the most part, the, Re- the Revolution have been able to do just enough to get the one goal, steal the game, and move on. This time they needed a second goal, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, we might talk a bit more about parking the bus a little bit later on. Um, I'm going to save it for later. I'm going to move on to my takeaway for the night. To keep the show going, I wanted to talk about Dewan Jones real quick. And I thought Dewan Jones had a fantastic night. It's... Uh, aside from playing right back, I think Dewan Jones has had an outstanding uh, year overall, one that should really take possibly national uh, level attention. I know we talked a little bit about this pre-show. Uh, Jake, I know I know you think 
maybe Dewan Jones should uh, should earn a, a call up the way that the current mm-hmm. U.S. men's national team uh, left backs are not performing. Uh, and I would not argue that. I have no argument for it. You look at the crosses that he was putting in; everything was just on a platter. I still don't know how how none of the none of his crosses were put into the back of the net. Uh, the the chances that I mean, it says he has zero chances created. I don't know where that stat comes from because I thought that he had uh, so many so many chances. Uh, his touches that he had, ninety eight. It's every single match. It's very consistent, right around a hundred touches per match, which is just unreal. And for a fullback bombing forward, um, Dewan Jones just deserves so much praise. And I think we've talked about him over and over and over again on this podcast, week in and week out. How good is Dewan Jones? What is his ceiling? We don't know. But he just proved it again tonight. The Revolution put what some people are saying is their their strongest 11 on the pitch. You have stars like Carly Seal, Adam Buchs, and Gustavo Bo out on that pitch. And Dewan Jones was my player of the match. Uh, I think he outperformed every other player uh, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I mean, with the, I mean, I, I don't know exactly the number of, of key passes or chances that, that Carlos Hill had today, and I'm sure it was a staggeringly high number as it always is. Uh, but Jones was great, and and for a team when when you have that much domination in possession, that much time spent in Columbus's half of the field, your fullbacks are going to get forward and are going to create chances. And I thought at times, um, you know, Brandon By had a couple of crosses that weren't all that great, but he was involved on that flank. He was there up in support and Dejan Buchanan all the time uh, on the right-hand side and Dewan Jones uh, a little bit more isolated on the left, which I think the Revs do on purpose because Jones is more apt with the ball at his feet and can sort of, you know, break and create his own space. Um, but yeah, you know, the Revs fullbacks as a whole have, have been significantly improved, not just you know, year to year, but just in the middle of this season uh, for both Jones and, and Brandon by, and it's just, I think a testament to, you know, Bruce arena and the coaching staff and the development, the steps these players have taken over the years. You're now starting, starting to really see those types of results really take hold on the field. Um, even when the results aren't there, like they were today, you can see the individual play. Yep. And uh, for the record, uh, uh, Carly Seal had one chance created, uh, which is surprisingly low for him. And then he had, mm. He had 10 key passes, though, and I think that's that's the number that you're really looking at. DeWan Jones mm-hmm. logged four key passes. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, according to FootMob, again, uh, FootMob is where I based a lot of my stats off of. Uh, Carly's heel was given the man of the match uh, with an 8.8 rating, which is a staggering number to see. I'm, I'm assuming – well, he had – my guess would be his shot in the first half that room parried away early – was probably worth about half of an expected goal. And then all the other assists and chances and things like that might've been about another goal. So I mean, that's a goal and a half from just Carlos heel um, that we really should have had an assist on the night, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Carlos heel had three total shots, expected goals, uh, 0.56. Mm-hmm. Um, but moving on to the lineup, the first choice 11, right? So we're, we just mentioned it. Adam Buxa, Gustavo Bo, Carlos Hill, the trio of DPs are back. You have a very strong-looking midfield with Tejan Buchanan, uh, Matt Polster, and then maybe the only question mark that I can see is Thomas, Tom, Tommy McNamara. Um, and then uh, essentially our starting back line, it was what I would say is the first choice 11. Uh, I know we had a question also over on Twitter from Gustavo Lopez. Is that the best lineup for the playoffs? Um, Jake, I want to get a little bit of your insight. What do you think about the lineup that Bruce rolled out today? 
It's certainly it's certainly up there as far as the best line. I think you're right. I think the only other the only person you really could make an argument for would be McNamara. As far as in a center midfield role, that's his best spot in front of Polster. Um, and it's arguably the only other question mark as far as best fit is Tejon Buchanan is not a shuttling center midfielder. Tejon Buchanan is a winger. So I think the personnel on the field fits better in a 4-2-3-1. I know you don't want Gustavo Bo as a true winger. You really want him as a striker. Um, so the, the diamond midfield or the, the oddball four-man midfield is probably what the Rebs are going to roll with to keep the two strikers on the field together. Um, but it's certainly it's certainly up there. I mean, if, if the biggest question mark you have is whether or not Tommy McNamara deserves to be in this 11, and he absolutely does, um, there's there's no question as far as the other positions on the field. It, it really is um, a matter really of game to game, week to week, from here on out to the season of, you know, either trying to take advantage of particular matchup or skill set maybe there's a week where you want um a Massiel or a, a Tristison on the field or or maybe a cap Toom. you want a little bit more um oomph in the in the middle next to Polster um but you also can can change things late in the game um and I, I think that uh, today was a Revs lineup that for the first 75 minutes uh, did everything they could to win the game and and probably should have been leading and, and played well enough to win um and even against a, a you know depleted Columbus side or a less than full strength Columbus side. Uh, that's still a dangerous team. We saw them on the counter when the Revs did make mistakes. You know, Columbus is going to pounce on those. And they were, they really built their, their style today to do that. Um, and really late in the game, I, I think the, the Revs, uh, even though they pile on a lot of pressure, there are also a lot of tired legs out there. So it, it was something very interesting to see um, in the, in the late stages of the game, uh, what moves Bruce maybe could have made. I'm sure we'll get to, Mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, from a starting 11 standpoint, there's nothing wrong with that lineup. You put that lineup out in the middle of the field in November, uh, you're going to expect to win that game. 100%. We, the only point that we were talking about was Tommy McNamara. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at the roster overall, that spot where Tommy McNamara is filling, I think that should be a Wilford Captoon uh, in that location. However, Tommy McNamara has wildly outplayed Captoon so far mm -hmm. this season. You know, Bruce said earlier this week, right, there's a an excerpt of a quote was that Captoom started the year a little slow with some injuries. It has taken him some time to transition into Major League Soccer from the background he had. The tempo here is a little quicker than he's, than he's used to, but as we're getting now into the tail end of the regular season, he's adjusting. Uh, I'm not sure I've seen him adjust very much. Uh, mm -hmm. If anything, I've maybe, maybe slightly less sloppy. Maybe he looks a little bit more comfortable, but his performance his impact of the game has not really changed the uh, from what we first saw at the beginning of the season uh i i forget when we first got to see him because he was injured the uh, first couple of weeks there mm -hmm. but tommy mcnamara has really stepped in and stepped up and and answered the call of uh of bruce yeah we we talked about this a little bit on the on the bent musket spaces with with uh sam minton and seth makeover beforehand but um, you know, last year, Adam Buxa, I think, really was unsettled by the pandemic and, and the, the roster changes and the lineup changes, you know, throughout the year. Never really was able to find consistency um, with himself individually and with the team around him. I think Captoom and, and Massiel are, are a bit in that mold. I don't think they've had enough time to adjust to the first team. Uh, same thing with Tristison. It's a guy we've moved around a lot. He's been healthy. Uh, he's been in the first team. We've asked him to be a wide player. We've asked him to be a box box midfielder. We've asked him to be a shuttling midfielder in a diamond, and he's done all of those things 
capably. But we haven't seen from from Tristison and from Captoom in particular a a particular dominance. We've seen flashes of it. Um, we've seen them be complementary players, but we haven't seen them exert their will upon a game. And and I think when a lot of times you see late in games, you know Tommy McNamara. There's a stretch where there's ten or fifteen minutes where Tommy McNamara is always around the ball. He's always winning the ball back. He's always the guy who. If he's not getting the ball back, he's the one picking up the ball after someone else makes a good tackle, either a pollster or maybe one of the fullbacks. And then he's starting the counter up the other end of the field. And I think it's invaluable the experience Tommy McNamara has in the league, in Major League Soccer. He's been doing this here for yes. a long time. And I think that that's something that, from a from a style standpoint, particularly coming over from Europe, CONCACAF in North America and Major League Soccer is a vastly different style, vastly more physical style of soccer. And I think it takes a, some players a little bit longer to adjust to it, particularly when you're not always on the field, you're not always in the lineup, and things are getting rotated around a lot from not only tactics but formations and things like that. So I think if, if all those players are around next year, I think you'll see equally an important of a jump that Buxa made this year where he had a full, he had a full year, not a settled year, but he had a full year, a proper off season. And you see when he's on the field, when he's in the lineup consistently, you see the form and the talent break through. And I think you, you have a very good chance. You could see that happen um, with Tristison, I think in particular next year um, going into 2022. So now in regards to the lineup too, I'm looking over uh, on the other side of the ball at Columbus. Obviously Columbus is dealing with quite a bit of injuries. I think they have a couple of suspensions as well. Uh, uh, some key players that they have missing Zellerayan, Artur, Pedro Santos those are very attacking players mm -hmm. do you think knowing going into this match that those three players in particular as well as a, a, a bevy of other uh, very good MLS players were not going to be playing do you think that impacted the lineup decision and Bruce's choice to say I'm going to go all in attack there's a lot of attack on that uh, on the roster for the revolution, even Tommy McNamara and Matt Polster uh, were taking turns uh, advancing up the pitch at moments during the match. So it, would you think that this lineup would be the same if, if Columbus was at full strength? 100%, 100% absolutely. I, I don't think the, the Columbus lineup necessarily affected what Bruce Arena and the New England Revolution want to do. I think what happens is, is that when New England and other teams, Nashville, Philadelphia, when those types of teams sit back, New England hasn't proven that they are capable of taking dominant possession or dominant set-piece play and turning that into three or four goals. Um, they can turn it into one. They can maybe turn it into two. But we haven't seen this team from a, a, a set block when you've got you know eight, nine guys behind the ball and – you know, take all the chances and all the shots and things like that and turn those shots into goals. And that I think is the only real concern I would have for New England going into the playoffs is you're going to have a handful of teams with a lot of talent that might be sitting back on the ball, waiting for the revolution to make a mistake. And now you've got a three on three counter the other way. And Jossie's artist is heading the ball off Turner and the post and into the net. And that's really the difference is Columbus really only had one or two pretty good chances um, Miguel Barry had a shot as well. I don't remember if you put that one on target, um, but I, I don't think Matt Turner had more than one save in this match. Um, and, you know, New England just didn't get that extra just great chance. I think Heel's chance in the first half was the best one of the match. 
Uh, Books, I think, had a header that was also unexpected goals was was pretty high. Everything else was very low percentage. Um, you know, glancing headers, you know, through balls, more more things that were hopeful, you know, crosses than they were sometimes shots. And I, I think that's just the difference in in this game was Columbus was able to do just enough, whereas in in other games where the Revolution have been able to break through and they've been able to win these games, you know, one zero low scoring games. You know, the revolution that were always on the front foot, even though, you know, they, they, they did get the win. This was a game where Columbus showed, I think, just enough um, at the other end, just enough on the counter um, that it made it harder for the Rebs to really press all the time um, because they, could, they showed very early on they were capable off the counter. Um, so I think for New England, there was still that element of, no, 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 this is still a Columbus team that can score against us if we do something wrong, and New England did, and that's what led to the uh, the crew's opening goal uh, and made the Rebs work from behind. Yep. And uh, to make a stat here, you are correct. Matt Turner had one save on the night. Uh, and then before uh, getting towards the listener questions, too, I want to quickly bring up the Rebs rebrand. Uh, there's been some talk this past week uh, about it. I know there has been leaked images and uh, not really sure how official everything is it. Looks pretty official. I think there's been some some online research into different uh, different. Um, I can't I can't think of the word <laughs> when reg- registrations when when uh, you trademark something. Oh, uh, copyright registry. Those. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Sure. Thank you for taking it out of my mind. <laughs> um, but there there has been some some evidence that maybe this actually is going to be happening. And I know this past week there's been a lot more talk about it. Uh, there was someone over on Twitter saying that they know exactly when the rebrand is going to happen. And that sparked a lot more conversation. Obviously, we don't know when anything's going to happen. None of, nothing's been disclosed. Uh, but we also did get a question over from Twitter that wanted us to bring it up. And it was something I was thinking about bringing it up. So James Downing over on Twitter, we're going to address this now. Uh, I know where you stand, Jake, but I'm going to give you the uh, the floor right now. Take the platform um, if you would like to to say anything in regards to the crayon flag. I mean, listen, the crayon flag is the greatest logo in Major League Soccer. It's also the only logo in Major League Soccer because it's not a circle badge shield monstrosity with with the exceptions of Vancouver's, which is pretty darn good. And I'll even give credit to the loon out of Minnesota. That's also pretty dope. Um, You can have a good logo. You have a good shield. You can have a good crest, whatever it is you want in Major League Soccer. But a lot of them are homogenized. They're European centric and they're quite frankly boring. Um, The rebrand that we have seen with the whatever you want to call it, the Ghostbusters, the R, Queens Park Revolution um, has been a popular one, at least for me. Um, I'm underwhelmed by that logo. Um, That's not to say that obviously rebrand isn't coming. I'm sure that it is. Um, The premise was always, well, it was going to come with a stadium. Well, the stadium might not ever really be a thing. It's a lot harder to get something built in downtown Boston. We all understand this. And the revolution, the Bruce Arena era, likely deserves a rebrand. It deserves worth you know, credit to the organization for jumping into the modern designated player era of Major League Soccer, albeit several years, decade late. So I'm, I'm willing to give the revolution, okay, the timing is not terrible, but mm-hmm. I fear the execution will be. And and the execution is not just the logo. It's not just the crest that, that's going to be on the hats and the merchandise, things like that. It's the entire package. Um, if you rebrand and you come out with new jerseys and new merch, everything, and it's still, well, all you really did was just change the logo. That's not going to 
get it done. That's not going to move the needle for this team. There needs to be something else behind it. There needs to be a wow factor. And right now, based on the only logo that we've seen, I haven't seen that wow factor. And that's the part that will disappoint me more. It's not that you're going to change it. It's that you're changing it for the sake of just changing it. Montreal did this. It was met with immediate backlash. Houston did it. It was met with indifference. Chicago did it. It was met with downright apathy. And uh, what is wrong with you, Chicago? Hire Matt Wolf sooner uh, than you did. <laughs> that's the part that I think is is going to upset me more. Is It's not that they're going to do it. It's that they're going to do it for the wrong reason, and they're going to execute it poorly. Um, if you're going to do it, that's fine. You will never win me over. I am a staunch defender of the crayon flag. There's no reason to change it. Um, Major League Soccer does not need any more cities, United SCs, or any of that other nonsense. And as far as I'm concerned, we should be f- as far away from all those things as possible. Um, this is North America. This is not Europe. This is not the same type of history or the same type of everything else that's over on the other side of the pond. And and that's, as, an, as a trend within the league, is something that has always bothered me, that there wasn't ever sort of a, a, a reach to something specific. A lot of the teams, I feel like, sort of did all that stuff on their own. Atlanta with the five stripes uh, and other things like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm worried. I'm worried, but I think I'm worried for the reasons of I'm not worried that the crayon flag is going to go away. I'm sure it'll always be around in some capacity on some type of retro merchandise and things like that. I'll always be able to find something with the crayon flag logo on it. I am worried that the the revolution are going to do this rebrand and it's it's just going to fall flat. And we've seen too many of these in, in Major League Soccer. And if the New England Revolution just add to it, I feel like the league as a whole hasn't learned anything and the team hasn't learned from the previous 10 or 15 years of teams redoing things. There've been very few success stories. Um, I think sporting Kansas city is a success story. There's been, you know, I think Philadelphia yes. union are a success story as far as they were an initial expansion launch. There hasn't been a lot of success stories for rebranding. And I think that's something where if you're going to do it, um, do it right. And I don't know that that we're in a place to do that. I, I, I agree with the fact that it, there's a little bit of uh, trepidation from me as well, as far as what the execution is going to look like. I personally am okay subjectively with that new logo that has been leaked. Uh, it's not the flashiest thing around. Doesn't wow me by any means, but just by itself, it's a fine logo. I don't really care. Throw it on our jersey and I want to watch the guys play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do fear that the execution is going to be a little bit poor. Maybe that there's going to be a lot of intended meaning behind what direction they go in and maybe that's not conveyed properly kind of in lieu of uh not in lieu of but similar to how the fort kit uh went down and that jersey also getting leaked and uh, getting a lot of backlash and understandably like again subjectively with if you take everything else away from the equation the jersey is fine it's a nice white jersey that's not exactly white has some some other elements around to it some some squares or whatever you will it's i mean it's a templated kit of course it's adidas that's what it is i i made a whole video over on Revolt about the jersey i'm not going to go into it too far here but it, it was fine the execution behind it was poor i thought that trying to force some sort of narrative behind it didn't quite fit and that's that's a lot of what I fear is going to happen with a rebrand as well. When you're looking at the the Ghostbusters badge, as you will, and you see in that sash, we think I think that we can go ahead and 
assume that that's supposed to pay homage to the revolutionary era war uniforms where the mm-hmm. sash was going across the chest makes a lot of sense but again it just feels like you're just forcing a bunch of narrative um it, into something that really isn't a part of the history of the team that much i mean right. it's part of the name but that's about it uh it and, and i love i love the idea of hey let's let's do a sash kit or let's do some yes. kind of a you know either a maybe a banner the old thing was the 06 or the 02 u.s low u.s soccer jerseys that had the the two stripes going down the side go ahead do do something like that um i joke the ps the stock psg kit from a few years ago that had the white and red arrow stripe down the middle i kind of like that i didn't mind that as a stock kit i know everyone there's a ton of those Mm-hmm. in in world soccer but that concept i was fine with there was a standard there was a brand um you know the revolution going to um you know a blue shirt and white shorts or blue shirt and red shorts oh, that was different that was good we enjoyed that mm-hmm. um that became part of the brand we expected to see more of the the two-tone kit we really enjoyed that um i have no problem if you want to go to a sash things like that but that's part of the overall branding package if the logo doesn't wow me there needs to be other elements combined with it that do Yes, we haven't seen any of those yet, and and the early indication of well, the logo is kind of meh, leads me to believe everything else is going to be kind of meh or bad, because um, my standards are a lot higher. But yeah, it's, I, like I said, I'm 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 I know what's going to happen. It, oh, everything always does. Nothing ever stays constant. I get it, um, but it's still it, it doesn't. This one doesn't feel doesn't feel right to me. Maybe it'll be different with silverware. And hoisting a big banner with the crayon flag on it that says MLS Cup champions or Supporter Shield winners or something like that. That might help ease some of that pain. Uh, send out the old crayon flag on a, on a couple of high notes. Um, but yes. it's still it's it feels it's still that right now it doesn't feel it doesn't feel right. Ask me again in three months. OK, uh, we will ask you again in three months, maybe uh, after the revs hoist the cup and uh, we'll we'll bring it up again then. Uh, I think that's enough of the hypotheticals, though. And. Mm-hmm. Before we jump into listener questions, I want to take a quick break to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Galasso Kits. Galasso Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders and neither does their selection. And if you head to galassokits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. Again, that's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order. We talk a lot on here about Galasso Kits and the variety of jerseys they have. And it really is a little bit of everything for everyone. If you haven't visited their web store yet, I strongly recommend you enter GolassoKits.com into your browser of choice, and I am positive you will find something you love. And if you act now, you can get 15% off that purchase with code REVSRECAP at checkout. Thank you again uh, to GolassoKits for sponsoring this episode. On to listener questions. We got a bunch of questions over on Twitter. Uh, we got several questions over on Discord, please. Uh, feel free to always reach out after matches, and we'll do our best to make sure we get these in on time. I'm going to start it with uh, kind of a softball. we got Cursed Revs over on Twitter. First of all, I'm loving that that account on Twitter. A lot of fun. Um, but Cursed Revs wants to know, do you blame Sam Minton for the draw? And of course, anyone that's not familiar with the, the premise behind this, Sam Minton was going along before the match saying that the Revs uh, are absolutely going to win. They have to win. They they cannot lose this match. Um so, Jake, what what what's your take? Your colleague Sam Minton, uh, do you blame Sam for this draw? I mean, of course I. But any any time we can deflect blame away from my state and onto something else is absolutely one hundred percent going to be in my wheelhouse. Um, 
But Sam, to be fair, was absolutely correct before the game. This was a game the Revolution should have gotten three points from. The lineup said they should have gotten three points. The performance said they should have gotten three points. The stats say they should have gotten three points. We didn't get three points. No, I, yeah, it's. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to blame Sam for the bants, but, you know, obviously it's it's on the Revolution and it's on the state of Connecticut. So, uh, oh, yeah, exactly. More, we, we always, friends, this always comes back to the state of Connecticut. Why? Because you didn't move the Pats into East Hartford in 2003 or 2002, whatever the hell, whatever that's supposed to be. <laughs> it always comes uh, back to that. In case you're wondering, it always comes back to the Pats should have moved to Connecticut and didn't. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, we got more questions over on Twitter. David Civilian wants to know, uh, who am I to question the legend that is Bruce Arena? However, in my opinion, they subbed way too late. Thoughts? We had a couple other questions regarding that as well. Um, Bobby Reverton in a game that again over on Twitter, he says in a game that matters more, who is your first sub and do you make it earlier? Um, so those two questions right there, Jake, I'm going to let you take these. What's your take on the, on the, on the subs? Of course, revolution didn't make any subs until the 82nd minute. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, Jake floor is yours. No, I, I'm always, I'm always a fan of, of, of subbing early and subbing often, particularly now that you've got five of them. Uh, Bruce notoriously late at subbing. The subs were not bad. Um, Teal and, and, and Tristison, for Bo and, and McNamara, I would have done it around the 70th minute, not the 80th minute, neither here nor there. I would have loved to have Emma Boateng available. Uh, I didn't realize he was not available for this match until about the 75th minute when we realized he wasn't on the bench. Um, I don't know. I, it's uh, This one is the one where I'm actually, I'm going to give Bruce the benefit of the doubt because at least in this game, the starting 11 that was on the field was dominating and looked like they were going to score another goal right after Buxa got the first one to tie it up. So I'm, I'm willing to give Bruce a benefit out on this one, but also remember you're playing in Chicago in midweek on Wednesday. So my guess is that, well, you know, maybe that means you don't see Tommy McNamara or maybe Tejan doesn't start. Like you're going to have to play that game of, well, we didn't really rest anyone today. We didn't get the win now we've got to do a little bit of rotation to make sure that we don't screw up in Chicago because really that should be another must-win game for three points because Chicago is not good. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't think the subs were bad. I would have wished them to be about 10 minutes earlier. And then at that point, I think the only tactical change we really thought of was either taking Polster off and letting Andrew Farrell be that collector holding midfield type in front of the back line when – Columbus just sort of like just got it out of the way and out of the 18 and add another attacker into the mix. Like there, there wasn't really a great other move for the revs to make besides like for like subs. And I think that this would have been a game to sort of throw a bunch of attackers onto the field and just try and man's man United your way with 15 attackers on the field and just score another goal. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that you're talking about the Matt poster move. Um, uh, I'll, I'll touch on that in just a second. I wanted to say, I, I am also kind of okay with the uh, with the subs that was that Bruce made tonight. Uh, like you, I wish it was done earlier, but I was sitting there around the 65th, 70th minute, saying, "I think the Reds got to make a sub." But who are you taking off at this point? Yeah, I thought everyone was playing very well. My my decision, I, I think, about the 75th minute, I was like, "I think it's got to be Gustavo Bo. He's looking tired. He's not tracking back when he loses the ball." I think it's time to take Gustavo out. I just didn't know who the player was to come in for him. Uh, I thought the Bunbury one, I, I should have thought of Bunbury. It made a lot of sense. Uh, and I thought that Teal did 
uh, a good job overall with at least his work rate. Um, maybe not so much mm-hmm. with putting shots on net. Um, yeah. But you know those those nights happen, and I thought he had a good performance. And I, yeah, and yeah, and we you know we're, we you know, I broke out the damn it teal hashtag as we all know it's one of my favorites. Uh, yes. But yeah, they, they, well there was not there was not there were several damn it teal moments in this game that were not from teal Bunbury. There were a lot of shots from close range that were well off target. It wasn't just a teal issue today. It was a team-wide issue. So, you know, I, I think this was one of those games when you look back on it. I don't know if making subs early or anything changes anything today. Yeah, it's, it's one of those games. The finishing wasn't there. This was a game you probably should have been up 1-0 at halftime. Probably should have been up 3-1. to one, And then you could have started making your like-for-like like saves to save people minutes uh, going into the heavy workload before the international break. So, you know, I, I get, I get, I get the idea from Bruce. I, I get, I get the starting eleven playing this one out. Um, it didn't work. It's fine. Um, you can argue, yes, yeah, two drop points at home, but you know, I, I'd rather say it was more of a point earned by Columbus than drop points by the Rebs. Yep, that's fair, hundred percent. And uh, I, I want to track back real quick and talk about that Matt Polster idea that you had. Mm-hmm. It, you know, we didn't talk a lot about it earlier on in the pod, but the the back line for the Revolution they were. Uh, morphing a lot they were mm-hmm. playing a three at the back when they were going to attack when they were dropping back to defend they would again go back to the standard four back with Brandon by andrew farrell henry kessler dewan jones but up in the attack it was andrew farrell and henry kessler are defending and then it was either matt polster or tommy mcnamara were dropping back to be that third central defender mm-hmm. while both fullbacks bombed forward i yes. thought it was a really interesting way to to attack this game and it, like you're saying if if that sub had come in, maybe for Matt Bolster, maybe a cap tomb with how Bruce has been talking about him lately, put him out there, show it's a one, one game. Mm-hmm. Let's see what he's got. How is he going to impact this game? Uh, I thought that in retrospect, I think that could have been a great opportunity to throw yeah. cap tomb out there. Um, I, I, I think the only other person that, that maybe would have been a good shout to get on the field at some point, And, and maybe for one of the fullbacks, maybe for Brandon by would have been for Edward Kiza and just to mm-hmm. have Kiza say, listen, bud, if, if we screw this up and someone gets back, you need to go run as fast as you can and get next to Farrell and just be a stand-in right back. Tejan's going to be right behind you, but you're the one on fresh legs. You need to get back there. That had been really the only other idea that I would yeah. have had. But again, that's like a last throw of the dice kind of sort of thing. Again, the, the idea of obviously Boateng's available, that might be a different situation for, for both sides. Maybe you could have you know done a weird thing with wing, wing backs and said, let's play three at the back. Let's have um, maybe Teal and Boateng be more like, you know, box-to-box, wingback types, and just let Tejan and Jones just bomb forward and do weird things like that. But I think um, for the for the state and the play of the game, I, I think the subs, had they happened 10 minutes earlier, would they have made a difference? I don't know, but I would have liked to have seen them earlier so that maybe in the final minutes you could have done something weird, um, particularly after Eli Room picked up the injury and you knew, oh, he, this we, we can steal this one here. Yep. And, you know, interesting talking about possible depth as well, too, that we could have for center uh, uh, midfield. Uh, Luis Caicedo just played 90 minutes with Revs, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it last night, maybe two nights ago? Uh, and yeah. who knows? Maybe Luis Caicedo is ready to make an appearance for the first team. Uh, I thought he played well from what I'd watched. I didn't get to see the, all of the game, unfortunately. Uh, and the stats showed uh, pretty well in Luis's favor as well. So maybe we do see Luis come in. Uh, on Wednesday in Chicago, um, mm-hmm. but that's total speculation. So maybe the, there is a little bit of rotation availability there. Um, uh, moving on through the questions, Randy LH over on Twitter, 
what was up with Tejan tonight? He didn't look like a team player at all. Had a number of poor decisions and sloppy shots. I'm worried his sale to Europe has gone to his head. Uh, Jake, I'll let you start with this. Has that sale gone to his head? No, I don't think. I, I thought Tejan was was fine. I thought he was as dangerous. He took people on. He made a lot of things happen. Um, there's just there's nights where just stuff doesn't work, and this was mm-hmm. this was one of those nights. Um, I do agree. With, were there a lot of great decisions overall? No, there were not. Um, I the big so one that we, I remember. Can I counter um, that too, real quick, with the great decisions? When when Tejan scores goals, that people are like, "How did he score that goal?" It usually <laughs> did not start with a great. Decision. It usually doesn't. Yeah, it usually doesn't start with a good decision. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So you know, most of the decisions what we're talking about is some of the times when the Revolution were passing, I wanted them to shoot, and some of the times the Revs were shooting, I'm like, "No, you got to pass that." And the big one for me was I think it was Matt Polster in the middle about the first half, Ugh. got to about the top of the six yard box. There is traffic in front of him, but I'd rather see him maybe blast that one near post see what happens. He tries to center the ball. No one's there. Columbus clears it. And then I think Tommy McNamara around the 70th or 75th minute put in maybe one of the most beautiful balls I've seen all year. It goes right through the six. No one touches it until Brandon By recycles on the other wing. And I just like, those were just two sequences where I just went, Rev should have scored there. And then you know, Buchanan yeah. with the, one of the final shots of the game as well. It's just, there are just times when it just stuff doesn't work, guys. And, and I think this was one of those games. There's there's no individual performance or individual moment where I'm just like, oh, that cost it. No, no, no. There's none of that. This was a, a team collective effort that was great. And it fell a little bit. It also fell a little bit short at the same time because when you're playing against a packed in team, there needs to be a lot more little things. I think Bruce harped on this where – Little things we weren't getting right. I think set pieces were dismal. Um, some of the ball movement was stagnant. It led to a lot of counterattacks and turnovers and things like that. Little things that that cost the Revs today. It wasn't just poor shooting or poor decisions in the 18. Yep, I, I can't argue with that. I fully agree. Uh, Bobby Riverton again on Twitter. Uh, this is the second second question that we've had from Bobby tonight. Uh, also. Why do we avoid hold-up play when we have a guy like Butza who can confidently put his back to the goal? And I'll start with this one, and I'm going to say I'm not really sure that they did uh, avoid hold-up mm-hmm. play. If anything, I think maybe there was a bit too much hold-up play, but on the wings. I think a lot of, of the way that yes. Columbus defended really forced the Revolution to attack through the wings. There wasn't a lot of direct um, mm-hmm. up, the, up the center play, no long balls to Butza. Uh, and I think Buxa didn't have the opportunity to play much holdup at the top of the box. It was all down the wing. And if anything, mm-hmm. you know, going back to Tejan real quick, I think Tejan played a bit of uh, holdup play when he shouldn't. And then obviously I think we've also mentioned mm-hmm. that maybe he was a bit too attacking when uh, maybe he should hold it up or pass it. Um, Jake, do you have any other uh, opinions uh, as far as no, the holdup play? No, I, th- I think the holdup play was fine. I think you're right. I think it was just, it was just too far from goal. I think Buxa because of, the way Columbus is playing, you, you've got, you know, two lines of four stacked up. You've got to find a way to break through the lines. And and that's going to mean that you, that might mean Books has got to come back and get the ball in the midfield and work it out wide and recycle and then break the midfield line. So then you can break the defensive line. And the Reds didn't do enough of the breaking of the final line. They broke the midfield line perfectly fine. Whether it was one-on-one combination play, the midfield line broke from Columbus all the time. The back line, however, did not. There was a lot of bend, but don't break moments. There was a lot of times when, oh, it almost worked. But Columbus was able to do just enough, and I, I don't think it was either a lack of hold of play or too much hold. I thought it was fine. I think for Tejan in particular, 
on your thought. I think that's the difference between Tejon playing maybe a little bit more centrally instead of being a winger. He's not getting the ball out wide a lot of times. He's sometimes getting the ball in the middle of the field where he has to hold up because there's too much traffic in front of him or around him, and he's got to find a passing option rather than, I want to beat this guy one-on-one right now. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, Tejon did play a lot more, more, a lot more centrally, and it was a lot of that is because yeah, you, you had all three uh, DPs playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of got forced there. Uh, got our first question tonight over on Discord. Uh, this is coming from Misha. Uh, Misha says, "How did we not score? Like how?" And then follows up with <laughs> actual question: Are Teal and Arner good replacements uh, for when Buxa and Tejon leave? Uh, both, I feel, have had slow starts to the season, but have mm-hmm. been pretty crucial for the last two months. Jake, I'll let you take this. Um, yes, I, I think, again, going back to our earlier point, I think I think Tristan in particular, um, if he's if he's back next year, I think having another proper offseason, um, a year more familiar with the league is going to be great. Um, if the Revolution can't get a, a TAM level or young DP level of player to replace Tejan, as far as like the payroll stature as a winger, I would not have a problem with a Teal Bunbury, Emma Boateng platoon as one of the wings or as one of the wide, whatever it is you want to call it. Um, I would, I would be okay with that. Whether it's you're subbing those two in late and having them be wingers in a four, two, three, one. If you're starting them out wide in a, in more of a flatter four man midfield or something like that, there's, there's ways to utilize both of those guys um, and Tristison next year uh for sure um so w- whether or not they would be they would they'd be good replacements i think more than likely you're going to want um better replacements and you want those guys to be more of the utility um spot starter substitute type options um but if you have to get a run of games out of any of those players uh they've proven this year they are going to give you those games and they're going to perform just fine um so again that's that's the overall revolution depth uh shining through and I think you're going to see that next year. And the Revolution are going to have a war chest to go into the transfer market with. We've never had one of those before. So I'm actually kind of intrigued what Bruce and the team can do in the offseason, despite the fact we're several months away from that really being a thing. Yeah, good point, too. I'm curious to see how how the Revolution are going to use those funds that are allocated to them. Uh, I like the idea of Arno Tristesen, uh coming back next season. Maybe, you know, uh, another international player coming in, struggling his first year. In Major League Soccer, he had one good performance that I could think of. That was at the uh, the Miami game, I believe. The Miami, yeah, that was everyone had a good performance that day. But in particular, yes. definitely Iceman. Definitely Iceman. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I've never called him Iceman before. And you know, we got uh, Gustavo, who I I always nicknamed him Goose. So now we got the Iceman. We got Goose. Um, uh, <laughs> we just need a Maverick now, and we're good to go. Ooh, um, I mean, can we can we give that to him? How do you say Maverick in Spanish? Okay. We're gonna have to figure that out. We're gonna have to figure we'll that one out. out. All right. Note yeah. note for next podcast. We're gonna look that one up. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would like to see. I'm not ready to force Arnold Rasmussen back into the lineup so much this season. He's made a lot of mental mistakes. I think uh, he's tried things that I think are not necessarily his strong suit. He's really tried to force himself into uncomfortable uh, situations, and it hasn't really fared well for him. I think uh, staying at, in a sub role the remainder of the season was good for him maybe next season he can really get things to work and i would love for for him to be a uh, a solid replacement as far as teal bumber i think that he's just gonna continue to be more and more of a sub uh he's really you know approaching the tail end of his career he's not really gonna revive it on uh, an mls cup team as a consistent starter 
And hopefully the Revolution can continue to be an MLS Cup quality uh, team going forward, because obviously there's going to be some turn turnover uh, year in and year out. Uh, Traeger Girardi, I apologize, Traeger. I, I've said your name before, and I'm pretty sure I've gotten it right, and I don't think I got it right tonight <laughs> at all. But uh, over on Twitter, he, Traeger just had a couple of comments. Uh, first is, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. And I think that that goes mm -hmm. for us as well. We, we feel you there. Uh, and also, I'm just proud my postman nickname for Buxa is sticking. And I didn't know, I don't know if it came from Traeger, but Traeger, if that came from you, congratulations. You got you got brought up on the broadcast. Uh, it's a pretty fun nickname. And uh, I kind of I kind of think I'm going to be with Charlie on this one where it's a funny nickname, but let's not actually, <laughs> let's not make that one stick because it's kind of mean with how much he hits the post. I don't think he, I don't think Buxa really likes that. I don't know. Jake, do you like, do you like that any better than me? Uh, I know you're very particular about your puns. Uh, listen, it's a bad pun. It's a bad pun. We should all be ashamed of it, and it should be booed. However, I I made it worse. I I said someone needs to Photoshop uh, Buxa into Kevin Costner's face from the movie The Postman. Uh, so I'm not helping the situation. So I think maybe it's just best that we uh, move on, since I've already upset one of the Rev sponsors as well uh, today with some of my shenanigans. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll move on then. Um, we got a, a late question that came in from Jay Honda over on Twitter. The story of the game is all the missed chances by Books and Buchanan, but wasn't Bo awfully quiet? Um, I think, yeah, I think that's a very fair point. I think Bo spent a lot of time looking to position himself to, to, to take that right shot. I did think that Bo, when presented the ball in an opportunity, was uh, pretty smart with his decision-making when he decided to lay it off to a teammate or try to advance the ball elsewhere when he knew the shot wasn't there. But it did feel uh, overall pretty quiet. I don't think he impacted much of the attack uh, overall. Jake, do you have any a different opinion? No, I mean, this this was a game that would have streamed for a Gustavo Bo Galazzo from 25 yards, and just there, there just weren't any shooting lanes today. Um, and I, I don't necessarily blame Bo for that. Um, specifically, but I, I think he would have been the one player, the one, the one attacker that would have been definitely put off by the, the parked bus formation there from, from Columbus. And, and he was the guy, I think he put in a ton of work to try and help break the channels and, and move some of the, and move the ball around and, and open up opportunities, if not for himself, for someone else. And like I said, uh, he's another one of those guys, just, you don't, you're not going to see his, his effort in the box score, but, uh, it was certainly there. Um, I think he was rightfully subbed off. I do think he got uh, tired. He has missed a little bit of time, so I was okay with that. But, I mean, it was a good 80-minute shift um, overall. It's just, again, one of those nights, we're going to keep saying it. It wasn't happening today, guys. It's just there's, there's just there's We're going to have days like this. We just haven't had that many this year. That's why we're in first. Yes, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I will say, I think, like I said, I think it was quiet. But when we're looking at uh, after, after Bo was subbed off and Eloy Room was injured, at that moment, I was like, why can't Gustavo Bo be on the pitch? Because you know that he'd be just taking shots. Right. That, yes. That's another interesting, that's another good dynamic. But again, you, you didn't know that because it was five minutes ahead of time. So, yeah, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, But, uh, you know, I've got to blame Bruce for that bad decision. Uh, um, Charles Maddox over on Twitter says, if I'm not wrong, it was 28 or 29 to six in respect of shots on goal. Uh, we need to be concerned at this point, right? even though it was just one game. Uh, so the stat was actually 33 shots, seven on target. And I, I mentioned it uh, at the start of the show. And I think we do need to be concerned. There's definitely a high level of concern in my, in my opinion, uh, but we didn't go into depth. So Jake, I'm going to, I'm going to hand this off to you. Do you have, 
any big concerns about um, uh, the the missed opportunities tonight? Um, yes and no. I mean, the performance today was very good. Um, was the shooting or the finishing there? No, not as much. But but some of that is also credit to Columbus for executing their game plan well and making the revolution work a lot harder to get low quality chances and low percentage chances. That's that's a credit to Columbus and and something that the revolution need to work at as far as a, a team thing. I, I, again, said this before. There are times when New England should be scoring more goals than they do. Tonight was one of them. It's just one of the few times where we didn't get a win and we got a draw. So it, it feels worse today than it has in other times. Um, but New England has outplayed a ton of people this year and won by one goal. Um, I, if I remember correctly, it was 14 out of 17 wins have been by one goal. That number should be significantly lower. And I'm going to keep saying that because mm -hmm. it, it bothers me that we've had times, you know, up a man against Red Bull conceding late, those types of games where it's like, no, that should be a two or three goal win. And it's just not. The Revolution have definitely had trouble putting games away. And I do mm -hmm. think a lot of that is due yeah. to poor finishing. And uh, you want to put a lot of that blame on on the on the forwards on Buxa on on Bo. That's fine. I think that's justified. I think that you can say that they need to be finishing a bit more of their chances. They are getting goals. Uh, they're obviously yep. climbing the stat chart. But uh, if they were if they were even a bit more clinical, I think that the Golden Boot race would just be insane with uh, with Gustavo Bo. And Adam Buxa just yeah. uh, take just running away with it. Basically, it would be a fight between the two of them it, because it would they not, get so much service. Yeah, it would not be wrong to maybe say that both those guys should have maybe five more goals each, if if not maybe a couple more than that, because they've certainly had the opportunities. There've been time, you know, last week, you know, you know, Buxa missing that one against New York City late, where it's like almost a wide open goal, and it just fizzes right past the post. There's been a ton of those types of chances, not so much today, but just in general over the course of this year, where you just go, New England offense is good, almost great, and it mm -hmm. should be almost on an unconscionable level of, oh my God, how are we going to stop this team? Because right now, they're their own worst enemy, and they've proven that, I think, this year. That Now, that doesn't mean that that's something they can't fix. They certainly can. They can drop five goals on people. They just should be doing it more often than they are. And I think that's the part that concerns me is that it's not the amount of goals that they're scoring. It's not how many they're scoring. It's I think they should be scoring more goals in bunches. And they have too many games. They win two to one, three to two, you know, one to one, like where they have a performance like today that should have been five to one. Yes. And we've missed those this year. And that's that's the part that concerns me. The, it also, on the flip side, should be concerning to the rest of the league because if those five to one results start happening in October and November, that's bad news for everyone else. We can only hope that that happens. The Revolution are not typically the team that's going to be a five uh, a five goal victor uh, in in games, but uh, this team, I guess, you could see them them putting up those kind of numbers, especially if you look at the way the stats have been trending. Um, Sue King over on Twitter says, "Do we feel that was a good game?" like that all that happened was the crew got lucky or do we think we should have won that, but we didn't, we kind of covered this quite a bit already. I feel, mm -hmm. yes, I think we've established it was a good game. Um, I don't think crew got lucky. I think they played a very good game defensively. They yeah. had a good game plan, uh, took the players that they had available to them and they really, uh, they really stuffed the revs offensively. The revolution would not have scored a goal if it wasn't for that one defensive error. I forget who it was from Columbus that made that pat, that uh, bad was it, pass. Was it Francis? 
It might have been Francis. It yeah, was a pass straight to Buxa, and Buxa so did a great job. That's going to be on 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 my the the greatest Twitter account when playing it out of the back goes wrong. Uh, certainly, uh, that'll be something that we'll see for, on that Twitter account later on. But yeah, that's you're right. And to be fair, that was the same way that that Columbus scored was. We made a bad pass or a bad uh, turnover in the midfield, and yes. three on three the other way. And that, those are the types of chances New England wants to create, but Columbus didn't create many of them. They just created arguably the worst one out of all of them. And on that Columbus goal, I have to say Harrison Awful, I think he is one of the most underrated crossers in MLS. As soon as he got on the ball, and yes. nobody closed him down. I no was one like, closed oh, him down. what is going down? What, yeah. what is going on here? You, you knew you knew him. when no one stepped up, uh, it's going to be bad. Yes, ex- exactly. I kind of had that feeling right away. And uh, kudos to Harrison Awful for mm-hmm. that fantastic uh, delivery. And Zardes finally finishing his dinner after the second try. Uh, I'm going to move on. i got several more questions here. I uh, want to try to fit them in before we have to wrap this one up. Um, James Downing over on Twitter. Uh, I know we we touched on uh, one of his questions earlier about the rebrand, but he says, I'm not panicking by any means. Is there a chance this team peaked and has already played its best soccer? This is a week in Columbus. Why so few subs when there's a, w- a midweek match? So we touched on the subs already. We're not going to do that one again. Has this team peaked, though? I think that's a good question to bring up. Uh, Jake, I'm going to let you take this. I think I already know what your answer is going to be. I think it's, I'm kind of feeling the same way as you, but uh, has this team peaked? No, I, I don't think it has. And again, it goes back to, to the last point. The, the part that concerns me both equally for the Revs and, and, and for the rest of the league is, no, the Revs haven't played their best soccer yet this year, I don't think. They've played good soccer. They've played consistently almost great soccer. But a lot of that soccer has not been dominant. And part of that is the way the style that they play. It's a little bit more counterattacky than possessiony. But when they actually get the possession stuff working like they did today, and they start finishing the chances off of their possession buildup, when you combine that with the fact that I think they're the best counterattacking and most lethal counterattacking team in the league, that's bad news for everyone else because now they can beat you on the run in the buildup. And then from the set pieces, when you foul them 9,000 times a game. So when you get all three of those things working, right now they've only got one, which is the counterattacking. Um, the set pieces and the build-up play were not great today, um, but they were still pretty darn good. And that, that I think, is when, when the Revs get all that together, and hopefully that'll happen soon because it needs to, um, they're already established as the favorites in the league, and, and they would establish themselves as one of the best teams ever if they can get that to work uh, in the next couple weeks here. Yeah. And I'm a hundred percent on board with what you're saying right there. It, you look at the stats and you look at how many chances are missed by this team. And it's scary. Mm-hmm. Over the rest of the week, you look at the amount of chances or key passes, the chances created by Carly's heel alone, not to mention that uh, Gustavo Bo has also been a fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he a was a great, fa- so he was a year. great facilitator when, when Heal wasn't around, and I understand there's people who are like, well, Gustavo Bo hasn't scored in a while. Well, we haven't been asking him to score for a while. We've been asking him to be a creator, and he was that, and he wasn't getting any assists either. So, um, yeah, it's it's a team it's it's a team problem. It's not an individual problem. And if the team figures it out, because individually someone can go off, we know that. If the team figures it out, that's bad news for a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference in, in another couple months here. Absolutely. Mike Rayner over on Twitter. What did Columbus do to the Revs' attack that other teams could not? Obviously, it looked like the Revs dominated play, but I think Columbus was great at denying quality mm-hmm. chances by cutting down angles and anticipating movements. Uh, I'm going to start just by saying I think Columbus might not be the only team to stifle the Revs' attack like that. I think that maybe the blueprints out there 
you're looking at teams like Nashville. Uh, and then there was another a game. I forget what it was. Uh, Jake, you mentioned it earlier in the pre. In the pre there, uh, there was a, there was a game recently against Philly where Philly was not at 100. percent Philly Philly dropped a similar formation. We're going to stay behind the ball, and the Reds got a goal off a set piece. Matt Polster kind of sort of cracking one in on the on the back post. Um, they played uh, Cincinnati. Comes to mind that yep. that one that 0-1 win in Cincinnati, where that was another game where the Reds should have put that one away a lot sooner. Um, yeah, there's been a handful of teams that really the blueprint would be stack eight or nine guys behind the ball counter when you can. The Rebs are a little sloppy at the back. Um, you know, their back line is pretty good at emergency defending. Well, don't give them a chance to emergency defend, get numbers, right. you know, get a, get a three or get a three on three, get a four on four chance, get one good ball into the box when they're on the run and disorganized and, and you can score goals on the revolution. We've seen that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's just a Columbus thing. I think Columbus has done it well a couple times this year. Um, I think Nashville is the one team that's done it the best out of the games that we've played against them. Um, I think the real the real interesting matchup might be for the playoffs would be Atlanta because that's a team that wants to do a lot of similar things the Rebs want to do. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. But no, the, the blueprint would be, yes, sit, sit back, take your one or two chances, try and steal the game. Um, particularly at Gillette in the cold frozen tundra of Foxborough in uh, November, December. But yeah, I, I don't think it was a, I don't think it was anything necessarily special that Columbus did specifically. Um, it's just being organized. Don't make a mistake. Each team made a mistake today and it ended up in the back of the net both times. That's what happens at this level of soccer. Uh, when you make a mistake, particularly a bad one like Columbus did, it's going to end up in the back of your net every, almost every single time. I, I do think it's worth uh, noting Mike also wanted to say Columbus was great at denying quality chances by cutting down angles and anticipating movements. Uh, 100%, I think Columbus did do a, a good job uh, defensively. They had a great game plan. But if you look at the one, 1v1 opportunities that the Revolution had, specifically the ones where Tejan Buchanan uh, and Brandon Bai even um, were taking on defenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tejan Buchanan, <laughs> I felt so bad for the defenders that were taking him on one 1v1. They every single time just looks nervous and like ready yep. to try to try to chase him. And they know how dangerous Tejan is. It's he's really creating a, a good reputation for himself as, as a one V one beast, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really showed in a lot of those, those, uh, those battles, but overall as a team, as a unit, Columbus compacted, they stuck yes. together and they really got in those lanes. They got in the passing lanes. Once they got towards mm-hmm. the box, they got yep. in the shooting lanes. They didn't allow shots on Eloy room. You know, the 33 shots, only seven on target. And that's be- a lot because they had to shoot around a lot of obstacles inside the box. And also in particular, even when Tejan and, and by broke through the crosses into the box, there's still too much traffic. So there even is. though you've got, you, you, you let them isolate themselves one-on-one and then it's like, well, now you've got to run through an entire forest just to get a shot on goal. So very much, I think a good claim. It's more of a good game plan on Columbus. I think we don't give, we're not, we've said it a hundred times today. I don't think this is a, this is a, a performance where we look at the revs and go, they should have won this game. I mean, they should have, but I think it's more credit to Columbus and what Columbus did to make us earn the one goal that we did, which was a gift uh, and the chances that we did have. And, and we can say, well, there were three expected goals. But that's, again, quantity over quality. A lot of those chances were not high-level chances. Those are glancing headers. Those are long-range shots. That's things that are getting blocked from the outside of the box. You you didn't really have the high quality of chances that you'd expect this offense to generate with the amount of chances and, and free kicks and things that they had today. 
All right. And so we got a couple of other questions over on Discord. I'm going to move to uh, kind of along the same lines. Cameron says, was tonight the night that proved Teal should not get much game time going forward, which uh, what? Uh, Watcho mm. on Discord says, Bo finishes that chance that Teal skied. So mm. those two topics right there. I'm going to I'm going to take the Bo one real quick and just say, I think if Bo was in the match over Teal, Bo would not be in the position to even have an opportunity yes. at that. That's a di- uh, that's they do different things in the box. Teal is looking to be more of a poacher cleanup guy. Bo, if you noticed, and Chris, this might be so I have to go back and watch this. Bo is one of those guys, he's lurking around the perimeter box. He's looking for that angle for that cutback for whatever. Um, because he's he knows he's got books in the box. He's waiting for the ball to come back out. Uh, that's why he's there. He's he's waiting for that run till he can go forward and, and crux and just crush a ball on net. Um, they don't call him La Pantera for nothing. You know, he's yeah, hiding between those and, players. He's hiding in the weeds. He's waiting to pounce. He's waiting for yes. the opportunity to come. He's and, not getting up to the post and waiting to make that mm-mm. play. And and that was this was maybe one of those games where maybe you wanted Bo to get into the mix a little bit more because those chances weren't happening. Uh, in the first half and later on as the game progressed. So maybe the knock is maybe Bo, maybe he does finish that chance. But I think maybe the, the proper question would be, should Bo have tried to get more involved inside the box in a day mm. where outside the box wasn't happening? That, that I think is a legitimate question. Yeah, I agree with that too. Uh, and if you want to say both those players in the same exact spot, I'm going to take Bo shooting over 99% of, of MLS players of anyway. So I don't think it's anything against Teal. It's not a slight on him that I think Bo mm-hmm. would have scored that. But I, I, yeah, I think Bo would have done that. Um, but uh, to Cameron's question, back backing up a little, he wants to know, was tonight the night that proved Teal should not get much game time going forward? So Jake, I'm going to throw this to you straight away. What do you think? Should Teal get his minutes reduced? I mean, they're already reduced pretty much as, as you can't really give him you know fewer minutes uh, yeah. than you already have been. Um, I, I don't understand the, the concept of, or the, the Teal hate. I do it out of jest. Listen, I love the damn it Teal hashtag. It's 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 more of a joke um, because Teal almost decapitated myself and Jim Powers one time in Queens, New York, along with a handful of other Revs fans at an open cup game. So we do it out of love. Um, you, know, you need in a game like this, you need Teal Bunbury. Teal Bunbury should have been on earlier. Teal Bunbury is that type of player who will get into the box and he will steal a goal by being in the right position. Um, he had to control that ball. Um, he then skied that ball because I, it was not an easy touch, and it was on a bounce. It happens. It's not an easy play. Um, does Gustavo Bo maybe make that? Yeah, he could, um, but Gustavo Bo would also likely be about 10 yards farther away when he gets that touch. Um, so I, I think Teal Bunbury is a guy, he's, he's going to win you games, or he's going to help you close out games. When you play this type of style, when you play a, a close-minded pressing style of game where you were looking to cause a turnover, you're looking to steal a goal, Teal Bunbury can help you do that. So this was a game I think Teal Bunbury should have been on earlier. Um, whether or not it would have changed the outcome, I don't know. But this is this is the exact type of situation you want Teal for uh, when you are chasing a game against a team like this because he changes what the Revs do either as a winger or as a striker, because he plays those positions differently than Books and Bo and Buchanan for that matter. Yeah. And uh, the, a lot of the teal hate, I, I don't necessarily understand like the genuine disapproval of, of the way that teal plays. Yes. I understand that sometimes his shots are a little bit uh, wild and that's part of the reason that he's not an everyday starter uh, in MLS right now, but I don't know where, 
where anyone can go off saying that he deserves less time. He works harder than anyone else on that team. It's obvious to mm -hmm. see he earns every single minute that he gets and then some. He is such a good locker room presence. He's such a good, uh, just a teammate overall. And I don't know anyone else that's trying harder to win a match than Teal Bunbury. You can just see he plays with so much heart and so much emotion. And he has a lot of skill. He has the ability mm -hmm. to get it done. He's just very streaky. And once he starts moving, once he gets that train rolling, it's hard for it to stop. Uh, right now, he's just not not in a good streak, and that's okay. He's still playing very good soccer. He's still making the defense work, and he's still making fantastic runs. So I just want to make sure that it's on the record that I I don't I don't agree to the the teal slander, and I, I think that uh, some of it should maybe back down a bit. Um, we have one question left, and I apologize, Rennie. I saved your question to last. So Rennie Swan over on Twitter, I uh, thought this was a great question to to go out on he says play please lay out optimal versus likely paths uh to an mls cup game we can wait for the analysis of what that might look like but how do we get back there where are we vulnerable and so i'm looking at the bracket right now revolution we're going to assume the revolution get the first seed in the east uh i think it's unlikely anything else happens at this point they would be going straight to the conference semis they'd have a bye in round one which means they'd be playing the winner of seed four and seed five. It, I have no idea how the standings are going to shake up uh, by the end of the season. It's going to be very different than what it is right now. Currently, Orlando is sitting fourth. Uh, Atlanta is sitting in fifth. If it's those teams at fourth and fifth, it, it might worry me a little bit. Those are very good teams. And I think that those teams can also win on the road. They can cause you a lot of problems. Uh, do I think that that's where they're going to stay? Uh, no, I think Atlanta's going to be climbing. I think Atlanta's really starting to, to put things together. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Atlanta maybe coming up to the third seed. I think maybe New York City is probably going to be, in my opinion, a team that's going to finish fourth or fifth, and then they're going to win their uh, round one match. Uh, and then they'll be coming to Gillette, and that honestly does not worry me too much. Knock on wood. Um, <laughs> We've already beat, him, already beat him twice at Gillette. The postage stamp game doesn't count. I was there. It was terrible. Um, yeah, it's ugh, the postage stamp game. Yeah, I know. I, it is terrible. I don't know. Jake, do you have any big concerns? What are what what team are you really looking up for that might prevent the Revs from making I, a MLS? I Cup think run? I think if I were to if I were to do a ranking of teams I don't want to see in the playoffs, I think Nashville would be at the top of that list. Yep. I think right now, based on form, Atlanta would be second. And then probably New York City would be third because I don't think New York City is afraid of playing the Revolution. I think they play them well. Um, the Revolution have just they've been able to get the results in Gillette Stadium, so that would be an advantage for them. But I think I think head to head, New York City is not bothered by anything the Revolution do. They just don't have the results in Gillette to show for it. Once you get past that, I don't know. Right now, Orlando is sliding backwards. I don't know if there's anyone really back near the actual playoff line that scares me. If the crew were to sneak into the playoffs, they would certainly be among the teams. I would would be like, okay, you know what? I really want to see them. I don't know about DC or Montreal as far as I don't know about being scared by them, but be, I don't think more, I don't think those two teams do anything against the Revolution that I think bother them or make take the Revolution out of their game. Whereas I think a team like Columbus or a team like Philadelphia can do that or have done that so far this year. Um, 
I think the middle of the East, I think New England has separated themselves significantly from the middle of the East, but the teams that are fighting around the playoff line, the teams that would be in the first round on the road. Um, I don't know if I'd be necessarily bothered by any of those teams. Um, maybe, you know, if a second tier, I would probably have an Orlando, Philly, Columbus type of a line of those teams bother me, but I know we're better than them kind of, kind of sort of list. So that's how I would answer uh, Rennie's question. Shout out trap podcast, bring it back. Um, that's, that's where I would go with that is, is, is more of uh, those are the teams that I'm afraid of as far as how the bracket mm-hmm. plays out. It's too early to tell. It, it really is too early. You have to speculate a lot. Uh, so I guess what you want to look for is who's going to finish fourth and fifth. That's who the Reds are going to be looking at uh, mm-hmm. coming to Gillette Stadium for the conference semis. And then after that, it's just going to be the yeah, whoever's, conference whoever's left. I'm actually surprised. We mentioned this. We mentioned this before the podcast. We we're talking about it. I'm very surprised there isn't the way that they have the, the bracket set up. I'm surprised it's a set bracket. I'm surprised they don't reseed after the first round because of the buy. I'm, I'm, it's not like you couldn't do it. Um, as far as the, the bracket or the games go, like you know where the games are going to be. Um, I wonder if maybe they are doing that for some kind of a time slot or a TV thing. I It, it seems odd to me they wouldn't reseed that, I guess. Um, as opposed to if you were doing a bracket where you had a matchup in the semifinal set, like two was playing three or uh, three or four or five or someone was playing, like that would make sense. But the fact that it's, you only have one team established in the semifinals, I'm kind of surprised they're not reseeding to maybe give a team that finished third or fourth a shot um, at maybe hosting um, in that round, as opposed to it just being New England and maybe probably Nashville would host in the semis. It's a good point, and uh, I'm not really sure why they're doing it. I don't get paid anything to do anything, Mm-mm. make any decisions for MLS. So I guess we just have to go off whatever they say. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's all fully seated. Uh, the other bracket of the com- conference semis is going to be the winner of seed three and seed six versus the winner of seed two versus seed seven. So I, I don't know. You can look it all up. It's all on the MLS site. Um, you can go to the schedule tab and uh, go over to the MLS Cup playoffs and find the bracket. Um, view it yourself. Make out your own predictions. I'd love to know what uh, our listeners are thinking that uh, the path might look like and and what what's gonna uh, what's gonna happen. I guess what's gonna unfold when it comes to playoff time. But we until then we got we got I think what nine matches left, eight matches left now. So we still got a bit of time before that happens. Um, but that's it for the listener questions tonight. So Jake, do you have any final thoughts? No, I mean, you know, we're all a little bummed right now. I, I get it. Um, you know, it was, it's a frustrating game, but it wasn't a frustrating performance. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. We something we've harped on a lot today. Um, it, you know, there are games when you play well and you don't win. And we haven't had a lot of those this year. This was really, I think, the first one. I, I think for the most part, when the Revolution have tied, or they've definitely, when they've lost, they've been, you understood, okay, yeah, we wouldn't play well today. We deserve that loss. Eh, didn't happen today put ourselves in a hole, came back, got the tie. It's fine. This is one of the few times this year where, you know, it's a, it's a draw that feels like a loss and and I'm okay with that because there haven't been that many of those um, teams still in first. Um, they got some more help uh, in the standings because um, who lost Nashville lost mm-hmm. to Toronto. Uh, so that, you know, actually the Reds gain a point. Um, in the, in that matchup. So, uh, you know, very, very interesting, at least as far as how the standings, Work out the resolution still have a, a ginormous lead uh, in the Sporter Shield and not Sporter Shield standing, but the Eastern Conference standings for sure. Um, and they've actually extended that because of Nashville's uh, deficit today. So 
nothing I think to be overly concerned about. I know there's things we're going to harp on. We're going to focus on finishing and other things like that. But overall, um, if the revolution are playing like that in a couple of months, you would be more than confident of them walking away with a win in a playoff situation. And I, I think that that's what we need to remember is that this was not a bad day at the office. Uh, it's just a, a day where we didn't get the points we think we deserved. Yeah. And, re- and real quick on the standings uh, and I'm looking at the other matchups going on right now. Uh, game hasn't ended yet as of recording right now at the moment. It's in the 93rd minute. Uh, it's about to go 94th minute. RSL is currently beating Seattle 1-0. Uh, so that's going to affect the Supporter Shield standings uh, quite a bit. That one point tonight is going to go a long way uh, in, in getting past Seattle, assuming Seattle does not somehow find a way to get three points. I don't know if they have uh, if they're going to have it in them. Uh, anyway... Uh, Jake, thank you so much for filling in tonight. I greatly, greatly appreciate your time and all your insight and your answers. Um, that's going to do it for us tonight. But before we let you go, uh, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find myself at jkadanese43 on Twitter, occasionally on the Bent Musket, where we ramble on several thousand words at a time uh, when we're not working and sleeping all day. <laughs> and you can find me over on Twitter at Chris Belugas or at Reservolt. Or you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Revolution Recap. And be sure to rate and review five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. And until next time, go Revs.